Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Amen. You guys can take a seat. You doing good this morning? You're looking good. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors at Revision. I'm excited to be here as we kick off a brand new series called Monday Matters. We're going to spend the next month talking about work because whether you're a CEO, a student, a stay-at-home mom, or anything in between, whether you're working your dream job or dreaming of the day you retire, your effort makes a difference. I think that's hard to believe sometimes, though especially when we're working terrible jobs. And most of us in the room have had that experience at least once, especially when we were teenagers. One of my earliest jobs was the summer before I went to college and I got a gig selling knives. I would make people, you know, let me into their homes and do a demonstration and then try to sell them these fancy kitchen knives. And at the very beginning of it, I correctly assumed I would be terrible at that job. Just, ugh. But I incorrectly assumed the training would be simple and straightforward. On my first day, though, we heard about the product and the pitch. And then they brought in a bunch of boards and said, we're going to punch through these boards together because we can break barriers. Then we're headed out to the parking lot to that stand. And we're all going to do a trust fall. And I will never forget sitting there thinking, what is happening right now? (laughs) Karate and trust falls were knife salesmen, not Navy SEALs. Like, I'll, I'll trust you if the check falls into my bank account every two weeks. How about that instead? Like, so many of us have had weird and bad experiences with jobs. And I don't know what your job is like right now. I don't know whether you like your job right now. And I don't know how many people in this room are just trying to grind it out and survive five-sevenths of our week by making it to Saturday But my guess is that it's a lot of us because the numbers in our country aren't good right now. A recent Gallup survey suggested that only 34% of the American workforce is engaged in their job. 50% are disengaged and 16% are actively disengaged. And the first day of the week is the worst day of the week because we associate Mondays with work. There are a whole bunch of memes about it. And if you relate to this one, if Monday makes you cry, you are not alone. 50% of people show up late on Monday. It's the least productive day of the week. And a recent study suggested that the average American does not smile on Monday until 11.16 a.m. And I don't even think that's because they're settling in and they're finally happy. I think it's because that's about the time of day you realize, oh, I got a lunch break coming up. (laughs) Like, it just is. There's another Gallup study done that asked people, if you won the lottery, what is the first thing you would do? And one of the top three answers is I would walk into work, look at my boss and tell him to take this job and share it with another kind soul. Those kind of statistics indicate that there are a lot of us out there who are working for the weekend and just working for a paycheck. But what if we were made to do more than survive from nine to five? What if Monday matters and there's meaning, purpose, and value in our work? What if we were created with a creative purpose? 
What if God actually designed us in his image to be a part of what he's doing to continue creating the world and creating the future? What if work is holy? I think it's a struggle for a whole lot of us to connect our, our faith and our work. We just have this dividing line in our minds between Monday and Sunday, between the, the sacred and the secular, between God and the rest of the week. And sometimes the church is at fault for perpetuating that. Like I remember growing up in, in this Baptist tradition where we were at church all the time. Like you were never not at church. And I suspected that the goal was to keep us too busy to sin. But like every time we ever got around to talking about the workaday lives of all the people in the room. And I think actually I've perpetuated this too. And I want to apologize to all of you for any times and all the times that I've done this. But whenever we would talk about our jobs, like our secular jobs, not mine. I don't have a secular job. I'm a professional Christian. I get paid to be good. You are all good for nothing. But like, the only connection I remember hearing on repeat between our faith and our work was that you can be a good Christian at your job by inviting the person at the cubicle next to you to come to church with you and by earning money so that you can give and tithe out of your paycheck and, and bring your first fruits back to God. And it's not that either of those are bad things to do. They're not. Please do those things. But there's so much more. There's a deeper connection to be found. And so as we begin to discover together what God has to say about our work, I want to help us get a picture of the fact that our work makes a difference and a picture of how present God is with us, in us, and through us every day while we're working. I want to collapse the gap in our minds between the sacred and the secular because as the great Dutch Prime Minister Abraham Kuyper once declared, there is not one square inch of the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ does not cry, mine. Like Jesus is with us working in and through us in our work and so we need to stop compartmentalizing faith. I think it's really easy for us to take our lives and, and segment them into a bunch of different boxes. But if we're going to get this right, we have to stop putting faith in its own box. Like it's a completely separate thing from our, our work box or our family box or our recreation box or our, our friend box. Our faith in Jesus was never meant to be something that exists in its own box. It was always supposed to be the thing that defines the shape of all our boxes that shapes the way we relate to our friends and our family members, that shapes the things we choose to do for fun, and that shapes the way we think about our work and the way we do it. And let's be real, the numbers don't lie. There are a lot of us here this morning who need to have our thoughts about work reshaped if we're going to begin to thrive. So whether you're building houses, merging companies, teaching kids, crunching numbers, selling knives, whatever it may be, God has something to say to you this morning about the value and the importance of your work, about how it's more than a necessary evil that just has to be survived and more than a thing that only intersects with your faith when you're inviting those around you to come to church or giving. It's an opportunity to step in to your created, creative purpose. It's a chance to bring glory to God and flourishing to the people around you. That is what work has been about from the very beginning. 
If you have a Bible or a Bible handy, you can crack it open to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. It's not hard to find. It's the first page right after the table of contents. And if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the Next Steps area before you leave. We got them for all different ages and all different colors. Steal one before you go. We love it when they disappear. But Genesis 1, 1, the very first sentence on the very first page says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's not an insignificant verse. Like the very first thing that God reveals to us in the very first sentence of his book is that he is an active, intentional worker. And it's not an accident that that's the first sentence. It's not a fluke that that's the first thing God tells us. It's not there just because. And it's not there because it makes sense chronologically. I know that makes sense to us that you would put the thing in the beginning, at the beginning, but chronology in writing is a fairly recent phenomenon. Ancient writers didn't care about the order in which things happen. So we got to understand that verse is where it is because God wants to make sure we understand something right off the bat about who he is. And here's why that mattered. The book of Genesis was written down for the nation of Israel after they spent four centuries enslaved in Egypt. And while they were there, they were surrounded not just by Egyptian culture, but by Mesopotamian culture and all these myths about the world and creation, like the Atrahasis and the Enuma Elish. And what those societies believed was that work was evil and rest was good. They thought the gods were these beings who existed in a perpetual state of rest. They made the humans do all the work and they just relaxed forever. They rested from nothing to nothing, for nothing. There was no utility to it other than the idea that rest equals good, work equals bad. And it's into that line of thinking that to achieve God-like status was to avoid work, that God speaks. It's into a culture where the Egyptians used slave labor so the elites wouldn't have to work, where Greek city-states like Sparta and Athens actually had laws that said citizens couldn't work that God reveals himself as a worker and redeems the idea of work in the process. And then he does something interesting as it relates to us and our work. In verse 26 of the creation poem, God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Like be fruitful, subdue, increase, rule, I don't know if you noticed, but those are not relaxation words. Those are work words. And you may never have thought about this before because why would you? But it's really difficult to subdue anything other than your appetite for chips or increase anything other than your wife's annoyance at you while you're just sitting in a recliner. That's a lesson I have learned and relearned every Saturday during football season for years. I think sometimes when we're working, it's easy to get annoyed and frustrated. All of us have reasons to be grumpy about the jobs we have. But when that happens, there's a danger that we'll begin to see work only through the lens of Genesis 3, 
and not through the lens of Genesis 1. Let me explain. Work is difficult. And so it's simple to get caught up in this societal idea that we hate it and it's the worst and nobody wants to do it, but we got to put food on the table and a roof over our heads so we just suffer through it. Work is part of the curse. And when we think that way, we sometimes forget that work is also part of the design. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve rebelled, when they held a hand up to God and tried to go their own way and sinned, God told them there are going to be consequences because the world is now broken. Because the system is shattered, there are going to be some realities that are more difficult than they used to be. Work isn't going to be one of them. It's not going to be easy anymore. It's going to be sweat. It's going to be toil. It's going to be difficult. And that's the system we're living in. And because of that, it's, it's easy to think, yeah, it's just sweat and toil. But what God reveals in Genesis 1 is that it's also purpose and meaning and the chance to be a part of what he's doing to create the future for everyone around us. Work is a gift of purpose. And so it, it doesn't matter what you're doing, whether it's what you want to be doing or, or not, whether it feels like a dream job or a dead-end job, your work matters. Please hear that this morning. What you do, whatever it is you do, is significant. It has meaning, it has dignity, and it has purpose because God created you to do it. He's a God who works, not just worked. Like God didn't just create the world and then rest forever, make everything and, and take eternity off he still works. In John 5, there were these religious leaders who got really annoyed at Jesus because he was doing some stuff that looked like he might be working on the Sabbath. And they could not believe it because these guys never did anything on the Sabbath other than continually get in arguments with Jesus, which I find to be a little bit weird. But they wouldn't lift a finger on the Sabbath, even if their moms fell and cried out for help because they couldn't get up. This is a group of people who would not help them up. No, 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 because someone might see that and perceive that they were working on the Sabbath. They were too holy for that. And there weren't medic alert bracelets in the first century. So those poor women just had to lay there till Monday. What a great time to be alive. But these holy hypocrites are taked off at Jesus and he looks at them and says, yo, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. It's like you totally misunderstand the mechanism that makes the universe go round. There's work to be done and so I'm getting her done. God is a God who works and he invites us to be a part of that. And we honor him and add value to the people around us when we do it excellently. At the end of Genesis 1 and the beginning of Genesis 2, we read, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So the very beginning, God sets this rhythm. Work, 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 rest. Work, 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 rest. And it's cool, but I want us to notice something else too. Every time God created, at the end of the day, he would sit back and look at his creative work and say, that's good, that's good, that's good. And at the end of the sixth day, he sat back and, and said, what? It's very good. 
And very good there is this Hebrew idiom that means exceedingly, abundantly, incredibly good. You know what it doesn't mean? It doesn't mean perfect. There's a Hebrew word for perfect. It is not the word God used to describe what he just made. It also doesn't mean complete, done, or finished. There's a Hebrew word for that, and it is not the word God used to describe what he had just made. Because the idea of being perfect or finished describes something that that can't be added to or improved upon. And that's not what God says about his creation. Good means good. Very good means amazing. But God didn't call his creation perfect or finished because that's not the mindset he wanted humanity to have even before sin entered the picture. God called it very good because he created raw materials and then he invited us, these beings he made in his own image, to take those raw materials and continue to make very good things for the benefit of the people around us and for his glory. I once heard it described like this. There's a a difference between a security guard and a securities broker. If you hand $10,000 to a security guard and you leave for 10 years and come back, what do you expect to find? $10,000, not a penny more, not a penny less. Otherwise, you hired a bad security guard. If you hand $10,000 to a broker and come back a decade later, what do you expect to find? It better be more than $10,000. Otherwise, you gave it to Bernie Madoff and like Ponzi schemes happen to us all. But like God says, we're built to be brokers. Brokers take what's there and they multiply it into more. And what God tells us in Genesis 1 about the way he created the world and the reason he created us and our purpose living in it is that he made some raw materials and he wants us to use the raw materials to build beautiful, incredible, amazing things to make the world better for ourselves and everyone around us and to bring glory to him. Like whatever you do, You have a chance to do that. There's meaning in your work and in the way you do it. Your Monday matters no matter what your Monday looks like. In 1 Corinthians 7, 17, Paul writes, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. And don't misunderstand, Paul's not saying you can't switch jobs or take a promotion or ever go back to school and do a different career. He's simply saying wherever you're at right now, whatever it is God's got in front of you tomorrow, you've got the opportunity to make a difference in the lives of the people you crash into and point them toward him. So don't miss out on it. Don't miss it. Don't spend your day wishing for something different or or feeling jealous of the gifts that somebody else has right where you are right now. You've got some gifts and you've got some abilities. And so God put you there to make a difference. One of our core values at Revision is that gifted people give to people. You know, the Bible's clear. God has, has gifted us, not just for our sake, but so that we can help the world flourish. So we can bless people who have gifts we don't have and who don't have the gifts we do. You guys, we need each other's work. It makes all our lives better. All of us have some gifts and gifted people give to people. In the church, we talk about spiritual gifts a lot, like these unique gifts that the Holy Spirit puts inside of believers to make a difference in the church. But what I think Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 7 is is natural gifts, 
the gifts that all of us are born with. And here's the deal. No matter where you're at on your faith journey, it doesn't matter whether you believe this or not. It's just true. Every single human being on this planet was dreamed up and knit together by God and given some gifts, given a calling. And we use the word vocation as a synonym with work, but it has the same root as call. God gave each of us a vocation, a calling, and some gifts so that we could make a difference in the lives of the people around us. Like There is no divide between the sacred and the secular. There's no faith box that exists in, in a separate space than all of the other boxes. And, and there is no job that's inherently more holy than everyone else's job. It's hard to believe that in church sometimes. I think we, we look and we're like, oh, Mike, you're a pastor. Your job must matter more to God. It must make a bigger difference. It must be more holy and get more heaven points or something. Like it's an arcade and being a pastor earns more tickets. So in heaven, I'm gonna be able to get the lava lamp and Walt, the accountant, is gonna get stale Tootsie Rolls. Eat dirt, Walt. It's <laughs> not how it works though. What I do isn't holier than anything anyone else in this room is gonna go do this week. It's simply a, a vocation. It's a calling, it's a gifting. It's the thing God, God put in front of me to do. And if you'll go do the thing God put in front of you to do to the best of your ability, it will change the game for you and for everybody around you. And it'll allow all of us to make a world that flourishes in a way our world isn't flourishing right now. It's kind of interesting. You know the first person in the Bible whoever is described as being filled with the Spirit of God? There's this hermeneutical principle of interpretation that says the first time something's mentioned in the Bible, the first time a phrase shows up, we should pay special attention to it because it matters. Do you know the first person who's, who's filled with God's Spirit? It's not Abraham. It's not Moses. It's not Noah. It's not David. It's Bezalel, of course. All you people who've been in church your whole lives are going, who? It's Bezalel. He was filled with God's spirit, but not to preach, not to prophesy, not to lead an army, to create. In Exodus 36, God is laying out his vision for this tabernacle, this beautiful temple, and it says he filled Bezalel with his spirit so that he could cut beautiful stones and make beautiful carvings in wood and create something incredible. It turns out God cares about creativity. And just like Bezalel, he's willing to fill us with his spirit so that we can create something better than what we're looking at right now. We have been invited from the very beginning into God's process of creating and cultivating, of dreaming and doing. Every single human on this planet is made by God full of dignity with the ability to contribute something. Not the same thing everyone else contributes, but something that makes the world more beautiful. And if we're willing to do that, we not only find meaning and purpose, we also find the ability to point people toward God. As we do our work well, just for the sake of doing it well, we become what the British theologian N.T. Wright calls angled mirrors, allowing God through us to reflect his love to the world and allowing the world through us to see who he is. Like, no matter how small or insignificant the world may tell you your contributions are, 
no matter how meaningless you may look in the mirror and believe your job may be, if you will do what God has placed in front of you to the best of your ability, that is living on mission. You don't gotta wait for a calling from God to be a missionary or a pastor to live on mission. You don't gotta wait for Sunday morning to live on mission. You just have to believe Monday matters. Your work whether it's your dream job or you're dreaming of your next job, is holy because the working of the work itself is an expression of the fullness of God's spirit in you. We live in a world that will try to convince us that's not true, that will constantly tempt us to settle for less and see work at worst as evil and at best as a necessary evil. But what a tragic way to waste 40 or 50 hours of your life every week. What a missed opportunity to find majesty in the mundane and glory in the grind. God makes it clear. He gives us the gift of purpose through our work and our work is meant to be for the sake of the world, which means your office, your classroom, your living room, your job site, those places are holy ground. Put simply, and we'll come back to this definition again and again over the course of this series, but work is effort that creates value. Work is effort that creates value, which means any place where you put in effort that adds any value to anybody is a holy place brimming with opportunity for God to move. The book of Acts tells the story of the early church, of how Jesus ascended back into heaven and and his people were finding their footing in the world and exploding in growth. And over the course of Acts, we read about 40 different miracles that occur. 40. 39 of them occur in the marketplace and only one happens inside the doors of a church. That number is beyond explaining as an anomaly. And what it means is that those of you who have a gifting and a calling and a vocation in the marketplace are in an incredible spot to see the movement of God in the world. You have a chance to have conversations with people who would never darken the doors of a church or say that kind of thing to a pastor. You have a chance every day to make a difference I will never be able to make. Believe it. Billy Graham said the next great awakening for, the, for Jesus in the United States will happen in the workplace which is phenomenal news because that's where most of us are about to go spend the next five days, right? You're on the front lines of the movement of God. And so my prayer for you this week is just that you'd be awakened to the reality that Monday matters. That you'd collapse the gap mentally between the sacred and the secular, between Sunday and Monday and begin to see the meaning and the purpose and the beauty God has for you in your work, My prayer is that our faith would no longer be this this separate box that's that's different than our school box or our family box, but that it would be something that defines the way we live in every single moment and the way that we work. Because you guys, how you work matters. Some of you have jobs the world has decided are really, really important. Others of you have jobs to which our culture assigns very little importance. But in God's eyes, and this is radically countercultural in a society that defines us by what we do and how much it pays us. In God's eyes, what you do matters far less than how you do it. Because how you do your work demonstrates how you view your creator and how you value the people around you. I'm going to repeat that. How you do your work demonstrates how you view your creator and how you value the people around you. When you do it well, you find purpose 
You reflect his love and you make the world better for everybody. You were created to create. There's eternal significance in every moment of your life. Because as you go out and do the work God's given you to do, you're creating the future and you're writing a greater story for the world. I just think if we don't get this right, if we don't begin to see the beauty of our work and understand the working of God in and through us in the process, we're going to miss out. We'll keep suffering through it and grinding out a massive percentage of our life with the mistaken belief that God cares very little about the places we spend so much of our time or the things we do there. But if we get this right, if we allow Jesus to transform our thinking in such a way that we can go sit down in school tomorrow, that we can show up at the mom's group hangout at the Valley Community Center at 10 a.m. And if you're a mom, you should go to that. But if we go or we walk into our workplace, like wherever we go, if we allow Jesus to transform the idea we have about the tasks that are in front of us, a couple important things happen. Number one, no matter where you are, no one will look at your face or listen to your words and then tell you, sounds like someone's got a case of the Mondays. And I just think it's a win for the world if no one tells any of us that tomorrow. In part, because then none of us will feel like kicking that person in the face. And it feels like Jesus would be happy if we didn't kick people or want to. But on a maybe more important note, if we let Jesus transform the way we think about work, it will change our Mondays and it will change our Tuesdays and our Wednesdays and our Thursdays and our Fridays and our Saturdays and our Sundays. It will allow us to do excellent work because we know that God is working in and through us and our work reflects him to the world. And I don't care what you're doing, you can do that. It doesn't matter if you're flipping burgers at McDonald's, if that's the lens through which you flip them, it will make an impact. When Jenny was pregnant with our twins, she had this like deep McDonald's craving. And I will never forget that particular craving because of Sarah who worked the McDonald's drive through window at 7 p.m. on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And I know this sounds stupid because you get like two sentences of interaction with a McDonald's employee in the drive through window. But the way Sarah spoke and the joy with which she handed me a bag of preservative-laden food that was awful for my health absolutely made my life better. My life will be shorter because I ate that food. I ate so much of that food. But it's better because when she would say, have a great day, she was one of those people that made you feel like she actually meant it and she wanted you to have a good day and not like when everyone else says it. 10 years later, I can still see her face in the drive through window and I want to be like her. I want to work like her. I think the world would be a more beautiful place if we all just decided to be Sarah's. Believe it, you can wake up tomorrow and decide to put an effort that creates value for people the same way God put an effort that created value for you. And if we'll do that, as we'll do that, I really do believe we'll write a better story for the world. Your work matters. Will you just pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of what you're doing to continue creating, to continue taking the raw materials of this shattered and broken world and in some way making them more beautiful and more valuable for the people around us. 
Thank you for giving us purpose. Thank you for using us to bless each other. Thank you for the gifts you've given us so we can make a difference. And thank you for the gifts you've given everyone sitting in this room with us that make a difference in our lives as well. Just thanks for calling us to something greater, something bigger, and something more meaningful than just ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.